Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Today in the lectionary gospel, we hear Jesus tell Nicodemus that no one, excuse me, that one must be born of water and the Spirit, and that whoever believes in Jesus may then have eternal life. And if we were listening carefully, we read, we see that the this gospel lectionary reading ends with John three sixteen, a core message. Some would say the core message of the gospel. It's so central that it's doubtful unless you've been living under a rock for your entire life that you would not know the reference to that verse. You've probably heard it many, many times, and so have our non-Christian brothers and sisters. And so it's hard to hear it without all the baggage that's been attached to it. But we should always try to hear it again with fresh ears. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In that verse, the English word world is the Greek word cosmos, the entire universe. That is everything created. Who created, who created it? Of course, God. And God loves everything he created. And don't forget that he didn't just create everything you see and experience every day, but even that which we so rarely access, that being the spiritual world of the bodiless powers of the angels and the evil spirits. They're created too. And too often we are prone to make a distinction between the natural and the supernatural with those bodiless powers living in the supernatural realm. But to us Orthodox, there really are only two realities, the created and the uncreated. And the only thing in the uncreated category is God. So the cosmos contains the, the beautiful stars, the mountain vistas, your friends and family, but also our enemies, the floods, the storms, the creation we broke by our sin and rejection of God. And yet God loved them all so much that he gave his only son. Yes, Jesus came to save man, but he also came to save all of creation from the corruption and death that our sin has subjected it to. This is also one of the most insane sounding statements you'll ever hear. And yet it's somehow become trite by our constant exposure to it. God, creator of the entire universe, high on his throne with absolutely no need of us, completely ineffable, impenetrable in his nature beyond what he has revealed to us, despite all of our disobedience, despite all of our colossal rejection of him and his love throughout the ages, he loves us so much that he's willing to give his son, his only son, up to a shameful death so that we can share in his eternal life. What would you expect if you treated your enemies the way we treat God? I'm sure they would have murdered you by now pretty quickly. And what if you treated your spouse or friends that way? I don't think you'd be seeing them for long. I certainly don't think you'd expect them to send their family into harm's way for you, especially their only heir. That sounds completely ridiculous by human standards. And yet it reveals something fundamental about God and how different he, the uncreated, is from us, the created, after our fall. And yet God does have expectations for us. As Jesus told us himself, if we love him, we must follow his commandments. 
Because to believe in Jesus is not just to say it to someone. It's not to have a warm, fuzzy feeling about Jesus. Jesus tells, him, tells us himself that these statements, although comforting, are too simplistic and must not be taken out of the context that they all too commonly are. Believing in Jesus isn't easy. As an expert in the Jewish law learned when he asked Jesus the same question that Nicodemus just did. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the lawyer rightly answered, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And then when he asked who is his neighbor, he received the parable of the good Samaritan. He, and hopefully we learned from that story, that it is the character of one's actions and not their external appearances by which one is a good neighbor. Or how about the rich young man who kept all the commandments? We certainly don't. But then went away in sorrow because Jesus asked him to sell his possessions and give to the poor and then come and follow him. Just as in the case of our fellow man, love isn't just saying something. You have to do something. And for Jesus, following his commandments is his love language. So why keep his commandments? After all, aren't we free? Why do we have to be good? After all, as Father Stephen Freeman famously has said in his one liner, Jesus did not come to make bad men good. He, made, he came to make dead men live. We are free. But if we choose that we want to be closer to God, then we have to be more God-like. And to do that, we have to follow his commandments. And Father Freeman isn't saying that living wouldn't involve being good. Because living, really living, that is, inheriting eternal life, requires our theosis, our becoming more godlike. And if we're going to become more godlike, then we'll follow his commandments. Not out of some moral duty, not because it's the right thing to do, but because we're becoming more like God. And it isn't that we become good first so that we can become closer to God. Really, if we try that, we're going to fail. And we do fail also often when we try to be good, often falling to pride about how awesome we are doing recently when we try to be good and not sinning to only fall and fall hard. So instead, we need to try to first get close to God, and then the good will follow. It can't help but work that way because for God, as opposed to our fallen nature and the ways of acting embodied in the commandments and their ethos are natural to God. They're part of his very nature. So if we're more godlike, following the commandments will be easy. God doesn't have to try to be good. He just is, with a capital G. And if you really believe in Jesus, really believe in God in your heart, then you'll find life in Jesus, not just in eternity, but in the here and now. And in that life, you will be good because you will be Jesus to those around you. Jesus came to make dead men live, and living men are good men. As St. Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And yet, this is a process, a difficult one for the majority of us who, like me, I presume, have not been struck down on a Damascus road. And so if you aren't feeling particularly alive or loving, don't fret too much. You are forgiven and God loves you. He's been chasing us since the beginning. And if your heart is truly embracing him, humbly accepting your fallings and failings, he will continue to transform you more and more into himself. 
If we begin each day at the foot of the cross, we end each day one step closer to heaven. And as we've been discussing, Jesus knows this won't be easy, and he sends us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, the Advocate, the Paraclete, who helps us in our weakness, abides in us, seals us as God's children. So how can we get closer to God so we will show our love for him by following his commands? Well, we have to be willing to give ourselves up. We have to be willing to give up every bit of ourselves. Now, on the way, we will experience great pain and great division. Indeed, if we succeed, we will die to this world. When we do that, we will be chastised. Those around us will not like us, just as they hated our Lord. But as St. Peter tells us, we must bear it patiently, as Christ did. When we're reviled, we shall not revile in return. When we suffer, we shall not threaten. Instead, we should continue to do as Peter says, and trust ourselves to him who judges justly. What an upside-down story. How counter to every story ever told by men. To succeed, we have to completely fail in the eyes of those around us. As C.S. Lewis said, either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. So who wrote this crazy story? Our Lord Jesus Christ wrote it. And we know that people in his day thought he had a demon and was insane too. And yet his works proved otherwise. They proved that he was indeed the Son of God. And yes, this is the story of that apparent madman who opened the eyes of the blind, came down from his throne in heaven as a little baby who was raised by parents just like you and me, who preached to those around him the greatest story of goodness, love, and unity the world will ever know, and yet was murdered by the very people he came to save, only to overcome even death with the very goodness and love he brought to us. And yet, somehow, we're still too afraid to completely embrace his words. Somewhere in the back of our mind, I still think we worry that maybe he does have a demon. But when we're honest with ourselves, we know that demons cannot do the things he did. And yet, we are resistant to signing up for the life he led, too blind to recognize that to gain our lives we must lose them, too stubborn to submit ourselves to anyone's authority, even God's that we realize in our brief moments of true sanity that surrendering to him is to surrender ourselves to goodness and love itself. Submitting ourselves to him is true freedom. To get closer to him, we must learn more about him because he is so radically different than us. How? Well, one of the best ways is just to talk to him. He's always ready to hear our prayers even though he may often seem distant to us due to the darkness of our hearts. Prayer also gives us an opportunity to intercede for others, a way to practice God's self-sacrificing love. I'd say spend your prayers praying for others, not yourself. God knows what you need. Trust him on that and thank him for what he's provided. You can also study the lives of the saints. They're human beings with failings just like you and me, but through them you see the light of Christ shining into the world. Learn from them. The other thing you can do is learn more about what God has revealed to us about his nature. Today is Trinity Sunday, the one Sunday we set aside to specifically talk about the Trinity, who we praise and worship and talk about, hopefully every day. God's nature is something we cannot ever hope to fully comprehend, but God has revealed much about himself through the Son, who is eternally begotten and homoousios with the Father. Homoousios is the word that we translate in the Nicene Creed as being of one substance. 
And by that we mean that Jesus is of the exact same nature and being of the Father with respect to his divinity. To say that another way, the Son is everything that the Father is with respect to being God. We also believe that the Spirit is homoousios with the Father, and the Spirit and the Son likewise. Yet in the mystery of the Trinity, the Son, in a particular time and place, through another great mystery, combined his divine nature with our human nature in a way that he continued to be 100% God while also being 100% man, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. Through this mystery, the God-man Jesus became everything we are by nature so that we could become everything he is by grace. And God loves us so much that he wants us to have access to his divine life. And we have that capability because of Jesus and what he did. Another thing that God has revealed to us about his Trinitarian nature that will help us be closer to him is the mystery of how the Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the Spirit is eternally proceeding from the Father. They come from the Father, suggesting an order, a taxis within God. And yet there is no hierarchy because it's also been revealed as we've just discussed that they are co-equal. This is not fully comprehensible to our human mind. But our relationship with our fellow men should be the same. Each of us has our place. Some roles may seem more important or higher than others, and yet God teaches us that we all have equal dignity, equal importance in the eyes of God. Even if we can't be the other thing. We each have our unique personhood, as do the persons of the Trinity. We each have our unique role to play in the story of salvation, just as each person of the Trinity does. And just as each person of the Trinity shares completely, wholly, in the perfect equivalent divinity of God while remaining unique in personhood, we each share equally in that imperfect humanity that unites us while we remain distinct, unique people. Our human nature also permits us to share equally in the restored, perfect human nature which Jesus calls us to. If, as the persons of the Trinity relate perfectly to each other in love and equity, love and equity, we strive, despite our imperfection, to relate the same way to our neighbor, friend or foe, with dignity, love, compassion, and forgiveness. We cannot help but to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and therefore be closer to him who loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, Western Rite Orthodox Mission in Atlanta, Georgia.